0: Hello, and welcome to the Thinking Elixir podcast. My name
1: is Mark Erickson. I'm Cade Ward. And I'm David Bernheisel. Let's jump into the news. ElixirConf talks have been accepted. Pretty cool to see a preview of some of the talks that will be available. It looks like Mark will be speaking, and I actually got accepted. This will be my first talk ever, so good luck. (laughs) Yeah,
0: it's pretty cool. There's some other uh, people have been sharing on Twitter that their talks have been accepted, and we're seeing some of those start to kind of roll in. The official talks have not yet, as the, at least at the time of this recording, they're not yet listed on the ElixirConf website where you can see all the speakers. But just uh, some of them are like, Sundy Mint is talking about mocks. Greg Vaughn
2: is going to be talking about exceptions. Sophie De Benedetto is going to be talking about adopting Elixir or a success story we got Parker Selbert, then will be talking about testing Obin jobs. Isaac Yanomoto about Zig, Ziggler, and Elixir. Jason Axelson about Scenic UI. I'm interested there. Yeah. Yamin Shin uh, about using protocols in Elixir. So it covers the gamut. You'd almost expect this at ElixirConf, um, but it's pretty cool to see, you know, all, all the speakers, all the, all the topics. Looks like it's going to uh, appeal to a, a large group. Yeah. And David, you're going to be coming to this one, right? I am. And I have the pleasure of not talking. So I don't have any of the stress (laughs) other than just getting there. (laughs) You can just enjoy it. Yeah.
0: Yeah, So that'll be fun. Uh, So we'll all be there. Uh, We hope you can come and we'll be able to meet people and uh, see you guys there. Next up in the news, Livebook gets hover contexts. So this means that in the Livebook webpage, you can hover over a module function or variable and it will show the documentation or the contents. I thought this was really cool just because it's kind of an example of how working on a library like this that's in the community or a tool can actually improve the core language itself. Because Jose shared that with this particular feature, they are hoping to add the bulk of the functionality to Elixir itself so it can be more easily reused across tooling, which I think is just nice.
2: I don't know how they did it. They managed to make it like look great too, you know, (laughs) because like the, the docs that show up, they are... I don't know if many people actually realize this but they're they're formatted for both you know elixir code in there for you know inside the back ticks or the the code fences but they're they're written in markdown so there is styling that can happen in there uh and so it can detect headers and bold them and put in quotes
1: all the features of markdown so that renders really nicely so they they managed to make it look really really good yeah i just wanted to mention that another elixir roundtable was hosted at dockyard if you're not familiar with these they're just a couple of folks at Dockyard who go around talking about various topics relating to Elixir. So check that out if you're interested.
2: Speaking of Livebook, Nerves Livebook gets a new update. Livebook on Nerves or with Nerves can be really, really cool. It's, it makes it easier to explore or experiment with Nerves on actual hardware. Frank Cunlith released a new updated Nerves Livebook that helps address specific needs for that environment, such as provisioning a Wi Fi while burning the SD card. Also, just taking in some more updates about livebook. And last up,
0: if you are not yet prepared for Phoenix 1.6 switching over to ES build but you still want to get some of that really cool new stuff, Michael Crum has released a mix wrapper around dart sass so that you can still get some sass functionality in your css. So David, I know you you would kind of spotted this. What can you share about this? Anything else?
2: Yeah, uh, it's just taking some of the techniques, you know, that they're doing with ES build. And just applying it to a different package. This, in this case, um, SAS that's, uh, written in Dart, uh, which I think that's the canonical one now, if I remember right. So that's the one you'd want to use, not Node SAS. Um, I think that one is a, a little bit heavier, a little bit older. Dart SAS, I think is, is the newer, faster one. Um, anyway, but yeah, it's, it's using those same techniques. If you're committed to SAS and you're not interested in, you know, ES build, this will cover your CSS needs at least.
0: Uh, so that's pretty cool. Nice. And that's it for the news. Today, we're going to have a short discussion just about some of the things that we're working on now, like what we're currently in the middle of doing or or experiencing with Elixir. I was just going to mention something I've been observing and working on a blog post about to share, and hopefully it'll be done by the time this is released, and I'll have a link to it in the show notes. But the idea is, I've been at multiple startups before, and this is like the early stage startup, right? When you're still bootstrapping, and business people will come and say, "Hey." To the back end devs, right? They'll ask us, hey, can you tell us how we're doing on our sales? Like, what happened with our sales this week? Or who are our top 10 customers and what's their spend? Or who are the customers that are not being active right now so we can reach out and try and help build up their usage of the system? Things like that. And so they're always coming to the back end devs. And the tool that we go to to use to answer those questions is like in one company, it was Elixir and using IEX. Just get an IEX and do some queries and generate some CSV output or something that they're gonna take back and stick into like a spreadsheet. And another company, it was Rails Console. And I think that's really common, right? That that's something when you get that question of how's the business doing? We can just turn and run some scripts in the Rails Console. And that, if you think about it, is BI, which is business intelligence. And so like there are companies that make BI systems right? Like there are some, as I'm driving around in Utah, you'll see billboards for this one company is just continually advertising themselves. And they are a a business intelligence company. That's what they do. And like just billboards of them, right? That people spend millions of dollars just for on BI tools. Like when you get into companies that are significantly large, they spend a ton of money. And when you're an early stage startup, you're not going to do that, right? You're not going to spend massive amounts of money on that. So one of the things I thought was interesting, and I'd love to hear you guys' thoughts on this too, but I've found that Livebook works really well as a BI tool for several reasons. That's assuming that I can connect my Livebook to my production system. So I have a guide that I've put together on how you can do that on fly.io, but it's not exclusive to that. So I'm curious if you guys had ever thought about using Livebook for getting business intelligence stuff out of your systems.
1: I have never thought of that, but I have thought about how expensive BI tools are. (laughs) We just spent a lot of money on a certain BI tool. And yeah, I don't know if I've ever been at a company that's been new enough that we don't have any kind of BI tool yet and that you're actually just using the IEX console. Seems a little bit sketchy, but it makes sense. Like if you don't have some kind of self-service or some kind of tool to like see your data, then of course they're going to be coming to you asking these queries of our data. So I could definitely see how nice it would be to just have this notebook open somewhere that has like all these different queries and you can even chart them now, right? And make them look pretty with gradients and different (laughs) colors, have them all ready to go, right? And so when they say, hey, we're running some numbers for the end of the quarter, can you give us these things? Like rather than you having to like run in and remember these queries, because who writes notes anymore? Unless you're using Livebook, I guess. But if you're not using Livebook, odds are you just like put it in a notepad or something and you're running these and then you're not graphing them. Livebook would just make that so easy. Click it, screenshot it, you're done. Like that could get you really far for a long time. Yeah. The only downside I see, or upside, depending on how you look at
2: it, this still leaves that power, you know, solely to the developer. Because mm-hmm. I doubt that Livebook would be exposed to business folks. Right. Or probably should not be exposed to business folks having a, a console to your running system. I don't know. When I when I get something like that where you just have to do some console work, like I don't want to do that. That's not what I want to do. I I want to build the tools to give you the ability to do that yourself. And so, while that does make it incredibly easier for myself to to run those queries, and to turn, you know, that 10-minute task into a, a one-minute task, for example, or even shorter, that's a good stepping stone to building the tool to expose that information on a more permanent basis, you know, for for them. And ultimately, like, I don't know about you you guys, but rarely is it ever, I just want to see the data, mm-hmm. it quickly morphs into, let's change that data. <laughs> <laughs> and so yeah i am curious to like how to evolve that into a proper tool you know not that lightbook is improper, but mm-hmm. you know like a real a real tool that that could be used by you know the the, the business folks um like an an internal dashboard or mm-hmm. you know these these b i tools that might be better suited for that to give them the flexibility they're looking for, or maybe something else that's you know, if it's just a matter of like metrics, you know, could that be reported to Stats D, and then Stats D is reported to something that the business folks can get access to, and then with the help of developers, they can create um, dashboards to visualize that data. You know, from there, is
1: that that's a good view only? You know, thing. It's all stepping stones, right? Like, yeah, our company went through something like that where we use Grafana, but then we got to the point where Grafana. We kind of grew out of Grafana, and nobody liked it, and everybody started to despise it, actually, because we were using it as a BI tool. So it's like, mm. it's all just stepping stones into the eventual eventuality of spending lots of money on an expensive self-service BI tool. <laughs> well, I mean, Heroku's
2: got a, a good business model, right? Like, if that is supposed to replace a DevOps salary, one DevOps person's salary... Let's be conservative. Let's say that's 120 thousand in in U.S. dollars. You're likely, as a startup, likely not to ever spend you know that much on infrastructure or, or DevOps. So that is definitely worth it because that bill is going to be smaller, and you don't have to spend that that time on it anymore. I feel like BI is kind of the same thing, right? Unless you're going to hire somebody to take care of that or, or steal a lot of, dev- of a developer's time, which they're going to be expensive too you have to decide where that line is. Is it going to be the salary of the person that you're going to be replacing to instead of, you know, just use that tool? Well, I think it's interesting because you have to
0: step back and consider what the tools do. Like the -the off-the-shelf tools, they pretty much, at least my experience with them, they are the kind that are directly hooking up to your database. Right. Right. So you have to have somebody who's familiar with the data model and then there's some overhead of defining like, How do we define what is an active user or an active customer? So you can have all these pre-filtered query things. So it's a lot of setup involved with these. So if you're looking for a quick answer, that's not it. But like you are right, like you need a self-service tool and something like a MetaBase where you can install that yourself and host it yourself, that is a self-service tool. And the business people can kind of jump on that whenever they want to access and create new reports and things. But something that Livebook can do, and in, you know, a REPL, an IEX terminal can get you, is it actually knows about your code, right? So you have already in your code defined your schemas, your associations, all the fields, and what defines an active user is probably already defined there. And so you're able to actually just use all of that code to quickly get an answer. And what I think is so cool about Livebook is you're writing Elixir code, and you know, you guys talked about creating an admin dashboard. Totally makes sense. You do want that. But what I love about Livebook is you can actually take that code and most of the work is figuring out how do I get the data? What do I have to do to pull together this piece of data that the business people care about? So then you work all that out interactively with Livebook and then you can get them their answer immediately. And then you have the code that answers the question and you can figure out, okay, where do I want to put that in a more permanent home? They can
2: self-service it. Yeah. I think using Livebook is, a, is an awesome stepping stone to even delay investing in a tool you know, that, that'll do it long term and give you all the you know, different options for displaying and whatever. Yeah. And one
0: other thing that I think is just fun when you think about it is how many of us have built a system where we're integrating with some other external service, something like Stripe. If I have a lot of data that's relevant to my reports and things that's in Stripe, You know, that's somebody going into the Stripe dashboard and running reports and getting data out of there and then having to manually merge it Hmm. to correlate that data outside of those systems. Or I actually have all these API clients written into my code where I can just run a query off of some data and then go fetch data through the API to Stripe and build myself a nice little graph and chart and some data table output in Livebook and have an immediate answer that looks really pretty and it integrates... Across systems. Yeah. I think it's uh, something that uh, people could definitely be using and getting some leverage out of.
1: And then could you like run some AI models on it too?
2: (laughs) If you're thinking about using Livebook as a pretty interface for for REPL sessions, you might also consider setting up this Elixir instance to have read-only access to your database. (laughs) Yep. Just so you have... One more thing to do to to make sure, you know, just to protect yourself from accidentally repo delete all. Oh, my gosh, I've ruined it. You know, just one (laughs) opt in thing, you know, to to ensure that if you're in here to mutate data, you need to, I don't know, launch the secret live book or something (laughs) or change change the environment variable to the right access connection to your database for viewing data make an API request, read only is totally fine for that. And they'll probably get you 90% of the way there.
1: But this is going to be where we run our data migrations now too. (laughs) Yeah, sure. And David, you were saying inevitably you want to change data. So it sounds like you guys, where you work, do you guys just tweak your sales numbers to make them look (laughs) how you want them to look? Is that what you're meaning by that?
2: (laughs) We don't, we don't use LiveBook. <laughs> we don't, you know, we don't use LiveBook yet. Yeah, we're, we're trying yeah. to get away from all the, all the console activity. Um, so that we're in that phase right now. We're trying to shift all the, all the common scenarios that we need. And we commonly do out of, out of a console, out of the console into a proper UI, you know, driven tool. It doesn't have to be pretty, doesn't have to be fast, just needs to work right now. So we're, we're in that phase. So I agree with you. And and that really
0: is where you want to end up. You want to end up yeah. where the business people have their own interface. Because I have been in that situation where, you know, management comes and they say, Hey, can we get those numbers? And it's like, uh, actually, no, I can't. Because Bill has been running those numbers and those scripts are on his computer. (laughs) And he's not here today.
2: Bill.
0: (laughs) (laughs) If we think about using Livebook in just a way that helps us answer those questions for the business people as fast as we can in a way that avoids some of those other problems. It's not necessarily my decision if we buy a BI tool or not, because that's a company expense. It's going to be a larger decision. I'm not a stakeholder typically in that discussion. So my objective is how can I help the business right now? And one of the things that Livebook gives us is notebooks that can be checked in with the project so they can be shared among the team. You don't necessarily have to give everybody the ability to access production with those notebooks. You can you know restrict that. You are right that in a compliance environment, It's not going to be acceptable to have Livebook hitting your production system with the ability to make writable changes just in a compliance environment where everything has to be audited. So it's certain environments where the developers are already being asked, how can I do this? I think Livebook is a better tool as a stepping stone to getting to that more permanent thing, which happens as a company matures, right? It's the early stage startup where I think this is really helpful.
2: Yeah, definitely agree there. I'm working on something right now. I, I won't go into depth with it, but I think it'll be a good resource for the community. And we'll probably talk about it again on the podcast, at least in the news section when it's released. But I'm writing a blog post for AppSignal. So you might check out their blog, by the way. It's pretty good. When it's done and ready, it'll be released there. The guide I'm working on is about how to do safe database migrations with uh, with Ecto and Postgres. If you're like me, it might have come from the Rails community. There's actually a really good guide in the Rails community about, um, and gem even, to help ensure safe migrations. And this is uh, by Andrew Kane, uh, and the, the gem is called Strong Migrations. Even with Ecto, I've always looked at that guide. Just as a, as a, as a, well, as a guide of, of what not to do in my, in my acto migrations startups, you know, or, or or databases with small amounts of rows probably don't have to worry about a lot of this stuff, but as you grow or you have a a, a table, that's just enormous, you know, in, in the, in the, to the tune of millions of rows. You can't just start dropping and changing columns willy nilly anymore. You got to be safe about that because that migration will lock up the database. And if you have like web requests coming in that need to read that database or update, whatever, those can drop requests, you know, that could be a a huge issue. Uh, And so I'm, I'm writing a guide um, that collects a lot of these tips on like how to do this stuff safely. So for example, if you need to add a column with a default value, there is a safe way to do that. And there's a bad way to do that. And there's caveats with, with you know, the version of, it, of the database you're on. Another example is if you're adding a, um, like a not null on, a, on an existing column, like there's, there's definitely a bad way of doing that because sometimes it can rewrite the table, you know, and that's going to block writes and reads to the table. That's, that's going to be terrible uh, on, a, on a big table. That's going to lock everything. So those are just two examples, but another big one is I know because I've been here in the Elixir community for a while and I've seen it uh, evolve, but getting your Elixir application deployed and uh, able to migrate at all is still a task. There's lots of guides in, in, you know, in the Ecto you know, hex guides right now. There's, there's guides in Phoenix even about how to do this. So they give you like something that you can copy and paste into your own code base. Or, and we call this the release module. This release module has, you know, the, the functions to migrate, roll back, that kind of stuff. Then you also have to figure out how to assemble your release. For me, that always involves Docker. You know, when you when you want to run the migration, you're always a little bit nervous. Like, how do I know for sure that like this next migration is the only one that's going to you know run? Is it not going to be? Is not? Is it going to try to migrate some other stuff that I didn't even realize? So I want to see the the migration status. You know, I'm used to this in the in the console. I can run you know mix migrations and I can see a status. But when you do that on a release deploys somewhere, you don't have mix there. So you have to give yourself the function to see that yourself. Um, and then of course the ability to roll back or, or run the migrations at all. So there's, there's just a lot of like spread information about that. So I'm, I'm consolidating that um, into one spot and also wanted to like equip, you know, anyone else, like I'm going to put a, a guide together because I've gone through these scenarios, but there, there are likely other scenarios too. So I want to equip the readers With how to check for these locks in any database command. So if they're, if they don't see it on, on the guide, they should still get into a practice of checking for the kind of locks that this is going to obtain when you run your migration and just to ensure that you're not going to lock anything up um, by accident for too long. Uh, safeguards in the database. Anyway, there's lots, there's going to be lots of info here. It's going to be a long time to write this, but it's going to be a good, a good resource, I think. So again, that's, you know, how an Ecto migration works how to get it out there on your deployed system, how to run it, safeguards to protect yourself and other developers from doing you know, potentially bad things, and then a, a, a bunch of scenarios of what you need to do, the bad ways to do it, and then the good ways to do it. So look, be on the lookout for that. It's going to be a good article.
0: I look forward to that. We'll have to talk about that when you have that all ready to go. Yeah. Because when you consider the different types of databases, like Postgres versus MySQL, they have different performance characteristics around creating indexes and uh, deleting data and things like that so just being aware of the tools that you're using especially they really become important when you're at scale right when you're dealing with large data so yeah that sounds like it'll be a fun thing to talk about well thanks guys for talking and just kind of catching up on some of the things that we're working on and looking forward to seeing some of these things come out in the future and we can talk more about them when uh, that's ready that's all the time we have for today Thank you for listening. We hope you'll join us next time on Thinking Elixir.